Thank you, Bridget. Uh, good morning, everybody. My name is Caleb. If we haven't met, I'm the lead pastor here. So glad that you are here. This is Dave. Thank you, Dave. Dave's a good man. And uh, I am excited that you guys are here. Nice to see you guys. I heard the high school retreat was awesome. Way to go. Fun to have you guys in the splash zone again. Um, Thanksgiving is, uh, it was, was great. Hillary and I and baby Jack, he kind of goes with us places. <laughs> whether he wants to or not. We went to Arizona. We drove across the desert on Wednesday, which I don't recommend. Uh, it took us about eight hours or more. It's just brutal. The 91 and the 60 were, were not fun. But we got there and we had fun. We had a good time with my family. My parents are there, extended family. They're, they're in the Scottsdale area. And so we had a nice time. Friday, however, you know, it's this ironic thing where Thursday is like the day where you're supposed to be content, right? You're thankful. What we talked about last week was that uh, being thankful is, ouch, that hurts a little bit. Being thankful is wanting what you have, right? And being content is not needing anymore. That's okay. That's okay. We'll, <laughs> we'll keep, we'll keep, pra- we'll practice next year. Um, so Thanksgiving is like the day of contentment, like, God, thank you for all that you're doing in my life. And then the very next day, we spend more money than, than we do the rest of the year. We just go crazy and, and spend. So uh, I did not want to brave the, uh, this, the markets, the marketplace. I know some of you like, got your eye black on, and you were like, like filing your fingernails to a point just in case anyone was like infringing on your space. And uh, but I was like, no, we are not going out for Black Friday. We're watching football. We're just hanging out. We're laying low. About noon, Hillary comes into the room where the, some of the other family were, and she's like, I've got FOMO. I've got FOMO. I'm like, what the heck is FOMO? What, are you, what is this drama about? Fear of missing out. I'm missing out on Black Friday. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh, FOMO. You got FOMO, Black Black Friday, that's insane. But we've moved beyond that, and now we're here we go into Christmas. This next season, these few weeks, uh, for many of us are insane, right? I mean, you've already done some maybe family stuff, and now it probably just intensifies. Plus, you've got like office parties and, you know, neighborhood stuff and uh, people that you're trying to decide if they get a Christmas card or if you do a Christmas card or if you do it digitally uh, or they gave you a present last year, so you kind of feel like you have to give them a present this year. Can I re-gift a present that I got last year to this person that I don't want to really give a present? So there's all these kinds of important things that you're sorting out in your head, and this season just gets nuts. It's, it can be very difficult, and so we want to keep reminding you on Sundays, we want to keep pausing and helping you think a little bit differently, perhaps, about Christmas, because there's this cultural current, there, there's this current of consumerism that's so easy to get caught up in, and we want to just kind of keep pulling you out of that and help you think a little bit differently, uh, view it a little bit differently, and hopefully act a little bit differently, and remember what really matters in this season. A few Christmases ago, we were up in Washington, and, and Hillary's aunt was supposed to host Christmas Eve dinner which is like a big deal for the family. And so there's like a couple of different meals. And when it's a big family, you like take turns. Like grandpa's got Christmas dinner. Like you don't mess with grandpa on his Christmas dinner. But like there's a couple other ones. There's like a birthday here. And then there's like the Christmas Eve dinner here. And so this was the aunt's Christmas Eve dinner. And she was supposed to have everybody over. But then they got in this tiff, this family feud. And she canceled Christmas Eve dinner at the last minute. And it was like, I'm not doing it. You guys aren't coming over. Fend for yourselves. 
She got her feelings hurt. And so, you know, that's not fun. But, but what was fun is that we rallied. And so Hillary and I and some of our other friends, we decided to get together. And we had this, like, misfit Christmas Eve dinner of random people, like some neighbors, a few people that Hillary worked with, a couple people that I didn't even know. And then here we are, like, compiling whatever we had that seemed like kind of Christmassy to eat. And we had it, and we did that together, and it was awesome. It was totally fun. It was one of my most favorite kind of Christmas Eve type things that I've done, which reminded me that Christmas is bigger than just me, and it's bigger even than my nuclear family. And so we want to spend a minute talking about the reality that Christmas reminds us that we're all connected, that God did something profound, that it has an impact on all of us, and it has an impact on all humanity, whether they realize it or not. So we want to talk about what it means to be in relationship a little bit. And we were this, these next few weeks, we're calling it the Outsider's Guide to Christmas. We're still going to be looking at the book of Luke. But Luke chapter 2 is all about the arrival of Jesus. And maybe if you're new to church, you don't know much about that. Christmas is Santa and presents and, and eggnog and things like that. Uh, maybe if you grew up going to church, you're just like had it up to here with like Luke chapter 2. I, I got it. You know, there's a nativity scene and there's all so hopefully what we'll do is we'll, we'll cast it, we'll paint it in a little bit different light, and you're in a different place. You are in a different place today than you've ever been in your life. So my hope is that God encounters you in a different way. So here we go. Luke, we're finishing chapter 1. This is verse 57. It says this, When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Now pause for a second here. Elizabeth, at this point, is really old. She's like great-grandmother age, and yet she hasn't had kids yet. She's the one who had just prayed and prayed and prayed, Elizabeth and Zechariah. They prayed and prayed and prayed that God would give them a kid, and he hadn't. And, and month after month, year after year, decade after decade, they're disappointed. And God doesn't give them a kid, and they, they aren't able to have children. And so they suffer through that all this time right? That's who, that's who she is. So she's pretty old. She's about to have a kid. She's, she's out to here. It's like, it's go time. Zachariah is her husband, and he is the one who, when the angel appeared and said, you're going to have a baby, she's like, um, this body? Like, not happening. How do, how, this, this thing shut down a while ago. And Zach, and, but then she ends up believing. Zechariah was the one who doubted and said, I don't see that as possible. So the angel was like, then you will not talk for nine months while she carries this child. So he's been mute. He hasn't been able to speak this whole time. So that's the story that we're in. Verse 58, her neighbors and relatives, look at these words, neighbors and relatives. These are key words. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. They're, they're key words because she and Zechariah are obviously plugged into their community. They obviously had friends. They obviously knew who lived around them. They obviously were in touch with their relatives and friends and family. They, they were a part of each other's lives. And I think that in our culture, that's not a given anymore. A lot of us don't know who our neighbors are. A lot of us uh, don't even talk to our relatives on a very frequent basis. So when we see them at Thanksgiving or Christmas, it's awkward and you're catching up on the last 11 and a half months of your lives. So the, we, we tend to live in our Americanized culture, we tend to live a little bit more independently and not as interconnected. And I think it's to our detriment. And so what we see in these verses is that her neighbors and her relatives 
heard that God had shown her great mercy. And so they shared in her joy. They shared in her joy. They were close enough and involved enough and connected enough that they understood what a big deal this was. They'd known her for a long time, some of them. Some some of them had walked through the decades of infertility, the pain of all she wanted was a baby, and year after year, decade after decade, no kid. Some of them had cried with her during that season. Some of them had just walked next door and brought them food when she was depressed. They were entwined in each other's lives. There were connections. There was community. They did life together. And so when the great thing happens, they share in her joy. Do you have connections like that? Do you have friends and family that know the good, the bad, and the ugly, that you let in, that you're with, that you support? Or do you even know who your neighbors are? Our culture doesn't really understand the neighbor thing in some ways. We pull in our garage and we close the garage door before we even get out of the car to avoid the awkward interaction potentially that might happen with crazy neighbor who happens to be out walking her cat. Do you do that? (laughs) And so I don't think we do. So I I wanted to show you a few definitions of neighbor. A neighbor from dictionary.com is a person or thing that is near another. So you're a neighbor by proximity. I'm close to these guys, so we're right now we're neighbors, right? The person who lives next to you or above you or near you, they're, they're neighbors in terms of proximity, closeness. Where you live actually matters. You might not have chosen your neighbors, but it matters because you spend a lot of time there, and you're this close, this far away from other humans that God created and cares about, and you should know who they are. Neighbors matter. Uh, Another definition of neighbor. One's fellow human being is one's fellow human being. An example, to be generous towards one's less fortunate neighbor. So generosity towards someone who's less fortunate. And the third definition is similar. A person who shows kindliness or helpfulness toward his or her fellow humans. A neighbor to someone in distress. Where do you think those last two definitions came from? The Bible? Dictionary.com, Webster's. They're defining neighbor based on something Jesus said a long time ago when he was telling us the famous story of the Good Samaritan. And he said, who's a neighbor to this person in distress? It wasn't the person that lived right next door. It was the person who was neighborly as they came across a fellow human being in need. And they met the need and they took care of the person. That's a neighbor. And so neighbors matter. And I want to spend just a second convincing you of that and getting you to look at this little card that I put in your bulletin. Actually, our fantastic bulletin stuffers that get here early so that you can have that, put this in your bulletin. Look at this card. In the center, you'll see a black house, and it says, my house. And even if you don't have a house, you live in an apartment, you don't get to opt out. Work it out in your brain. This is you in the middle. The other nine residences around you are the people that live closest to you, on either side, across, behind, near, above, whatever that looks like. We're in a condo complex, so we have like eight neighbors like in our same building. The sad thing is, I only know about four of them by name. One of them I get a pass on because they don't live there. They just own the place and and it sits. But the others, I don't know. I don't know who they are. 
yet. But that will change between now and Christmas because I'm telling you to do this, and so I have to do it. You, what I want you to do is I want you to begin to put the names of your neighbors in these houses. You probably don't know them all, but that can change because our neighbors matter. And I want you to think about who lives around you and why it matters and how you can be attentive to who they are, what they do for a living, what they care about, what bothers them, what time they get up, what time. Just, just be aware of who God has put around you. But one of our staff, as I was telling on Tuesday that we were going to do this, she goes, oh, great, I don't want to do that. I've got a crazy neighbor across the street. I, okay. He goes, no, I'm serious. We call him naked guy. <laughs> he walks across his living room naked with the curtains open. And so I give you a pass. If you have a naked neighbor, <laughs> you don't have to go knock on the door of naked guy's house. If there's someone in your little neighborhood that is dangerous, you can just pray for them and walk to the next door. That's okay. But in general, I want us to figure out who lives around us and begin to think about what it means to be neighbors. Because in this story, it was critical that Elizabeth and Zechariah, as they went through life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, they had relatives and they had neighbors. They had people that they did life with. Sometimes it's those right around us. Sometimes it's our other friends. But we at least want to know what the names of our neighbors are. We'll at least start there. So they were people that shared in her joy. They shared in her joy. They shared life together, which tells us what I want, you, what I want to echo in your ears this week and this month is that people who care are people who share. People who care are people who share. There's a lot of folks that say, well, I'm nice. I do this nice thing, or I'm a nice person, or I don't cheat on my taxes, or I don't whatever, 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 whatever. But you can know the degree to which you're actually a caring person because it's the degree to which you share with other people. And so today, I want you to think about your neighbors and your relatives and the people that are close to you your family, and the people in close proximity. And I want you to consider, are you showing them that you care by sharing? Now, there's a few ways, just to make it real practical, that we can show care or that we can show that we can share with them. The first is by sharing our time. We share our time. Time is the most valuable asset that we have. When you share time, you're sharing the most important thing. Because you can't get time back. You can get money back. You can get stuff back. You can't get time back. So the people that you choose to share your time with, it says something. And now some people don't share their time or they're militant about their time because they think, I, I just don't have very much of it. But the reality is we all have 24 hours. We all have the same amount of time. But then they push back and they go, well, well but my time is more valuable. I bill my time at like $400 an hour. Like I, my time is different than your time, is it? People that talk like that and think like that are the people that end up dying alone. We all have the same amount of time, and we all need each other and need to be in relationship with, one each, with, with each other. There is nothing more important and no better way to spend your time than engaging in relationship. I remember when I was a kid growing up feeling like my dad was pretty present. He worked hard. He, he worked a lot. 
But he, as he led a large nonprofit organization, he had like several hundred staff under him. But he told them not to pause before they ever called him in the evening. He gave them his home phone number. This is like pre-cell phones. He gave them his home cell phone number or his home phone number, but told them, if you're going to call me in the evening, pause and ask yourself, is this something that can wait until tomorrow? Or do I need to interrupt Larry's time with his, with his family? And he coached my soccer teams, and he was a present dad. I read a study just this week that said families that eat around the table together, those families, the kids are half as likely to struggle with drugs and alcohol abuse as the families who don't. Now, eating around the table, that's just one factor, right? People that eat around the table usually do other things well, too. But this study found that just that one thing, eating around a table together as a family, cuts the likelihood of your kids struggling with drugs and alcohol abuse in half. Why? Because time matters. Togetherness matters. Kids sense that when they are valued, when there is time spent, when, when they are together. It matters. Look at this verse. Hebrews 10, 24, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Don't give up meeting together. It's, it's difficult to do, but encourage one another. You see, our church has a simple strategy. We don't just gather here on Sundays. It's, it's one thing that we do. We gather on Sundays. We have three services. We come. We celebrate that God's good. We remind each other of things that are true and how we want to live. We, we, we rally each other to make an impact on our community. It's what we do. It's, this is a great thing that we do, but it's not all that we do. We also gather together during the week. We gather here, and we group up during the week. And we have a thing called Rooted. It's kind of the on-ramp. If you haven't been through Rooted yet, you need to in January. It's awesome. It's, li- it's, it's literally life-changing for like 99 out of 100 people. I'm leaving a little bit of room for the person that doesn't want to play. <clears throat> but Rooted is kind of the on-ramp into our life group system. And so we have groups that meet all during the week. We have great groups. And then our groups, then they go out and they impact the community. So it's a simple little thing that we do. We don't, have, we don't want to do like a million things. We want to do a few things really well and invite you, our people, to go out and be the ones who change this community and this culture. And so to get that point across, to, to show the value of our life groups, I wanted to invite one up. So I asked Jeb and Barb Egbert and their group to come and to join me and just share, just give you a little glimpse of what one of our life life groups looks like. Would you welcome them up? Thank you. Thank you guys for coming up. We can scoot a little bit this way to keep you guys in the light. I don't want you have to lurk in the darkness over there. So, Jeb, you guys didn't even know each other when you started, like, less than a year ago, right? And now you've formed these incredible bonds. Can you just talk a little bit about what it was like getting started as a group together? Sure. Happy to. Uh, we, uh, if we had been asked to come up on stage a year ago at this time and talk about one another, we would have had a whole lot of nothing. Uh, <laughs> because aside from Barb, who is my wife, uh, we didn't know anybody in each other. We just didn't know. So January 13th was our first rooted group. And that was the beginning of our story to connect it as a, as a group of people. And what's so interesting is that metamorphosis went from complete strangers to acquaintances. 
Then we moved to friends. We had to move into the friend phase. And then we moved to just family. And uh, we love one another. We pray for one another. We spend time to, together with one another. We've served the homeless. We've helped someone move. Uh, <laughs> Which is when you know your friends. Yeah. <laughs> We've participated in one another's baptisms. We have uh, just done a remarkable number of things together. And that all morphed from our rooted experience into the life group. And the life group, we, you know, it's just amazing when you sort of open up to one another and share with one another our issues, our challenges, our troubles, our difficulties, our celebrations. And we've shared a lot of that together. We pray for one another quite a bit. So it's been quite a journey. That's awesome. And Dave, I see that you have notes prepared, so you must want to say something (laughs) that's going to be, we're ready for you. Go. Um, On Wednesday, one of our life group members invited us over to Irvine campus for their Thanksgiving service. And that service is based around people giving testimony of thankfulness for what they have. So during that part is, I wrote this down in the little cards they gave us, what we are thankful for. And it starts, what I'm thankful for. I wrote down, I'm thankful for this group. A life group is the result of an amazing journey that my wife and I had been on. And we didn't know what direction we were going in that journey, and it didn't look very well. But God in his infinite wisdom brought us here to Huntington Beach. We met these people in our rooted group, went through rooted with them, which led to Angie and I being baptized by Caleb, and all of our group members were also there with us. And that was great. And then what happens is this group turned into a life group. And we spend time together. And what it is is this life group, it's an amazing group that is now the center of our attention and our life in the Huntington Beach community and this group. And I'm so thankful for this group to have, and I love them all dearly. That's awesome. So, Jeb, if you, we're out here and we're, we're talking about, you know, sharing our time, which is our most valuable asset and probably the biggest hurdle into jumping into community Uh, How would you encourage us? What would you say to uh, encourage people to just jump in, get connected, be involved in community in this church? Well, I heard a similar type of a testimony two years ago, and I was sitting in the audience, and I thought, wow, good for them. I'm kind of busy. Because I was working 60, 70 hours a week, and uh, we have, in my situation, we have campuses across the United States, so I was flying here and there. So... It just thought it was great that somebody else might be able to have this opportunity. And that just didn't sit well with the Holy Spirit, I don't think. <laughs> I, I think I felt this tug. It's like, you can do this. And there were a number of reasons why I put up my protestations. But I'll tell you what, uh, I finally just took the dive. We, we joined, I see Ryan and Tracy out here. We started with their rooted group, Barb and I did, and we just loved it. And then we were asked to go ahead and move into this rooted group. And, you know, the time that seemed like it was so precious and I couldn't possibly afford that uh, just became one of the pinnacles of my week. It was one of the most important little elements of time that we could possibly spend. So it's just a matter. I had a wise man once tell me, you know, what are you you committed to? And I told him what I'm committed to. And he says, well, let me see your checkbook and your calendar. And that will show me what you're really committed to. And I realized this is what I need to be committed to. Mm, Awesome. And it's not just this, what what you see up here, but what you don't see is that these folks, as they felt more and more connected to this church, now they serve you in all kinds of different ways. Here at 6 a.m. this morning, helping to set up, 
Uh, Barb leads the women's ministry and helps all kinds of things happen on that front. They, they all serve in different capacities, and it's just a result of what God's doing in their life and their sense of being connected, and we are just grateful for you. And, uh, and I, I would like to pray for them as a group, but also just for all of our life groups. Can you join me in praying? God, I thank you for these wonderful people. I thank you that you have connected them and brought them to each other and, and made this a valuable uh, family. And uh, I also pray for our other groups, um, that you would work there, that you would draw out, that you would connect, that you would make whole, that you would heal, that you would use this group and all of us in this community to change things, that we would rally together and we would enjoy it, that we would know your love through one another. What a generous gift it is that you show us your love through each other. We are thankful for that, and we pray for more of that to happen in our community, in our church, and in this group too. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, guys. Well, we are thankful for them, and we, we are people who are committed to helping you connect. You can sit in this place anonymously for a while, and that's fine, and we want you to, but at some point, at some point, we want you connected to other people because it's better for your soul. Even if you feel like you're too busy for it, you don't realize how valuable it is for your health and for what God wants to do in your growth as you go forward. So allow us to help you connect. There's lots of ways you can connect, but it's real simple, our strategy. Gather on Sundays, we get into groups, and we go out and we change the world together. So if you want, you can sign up for Rooted already. It starts in January, online or on the patio. If you've done Rooted, you can jump into an existing life group, or we can form a new one. We'd love to have you connect that way. Start with the women's event, Christmas brunch, or all kinds of different things. We just want you connected in relationships, sharing time with each other. So we care by sharing our time. We also care by sharing our belongings. Acts 2 says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This was the story of the early church. So, so these are the people that, got, that Jesus sent out to change the world, and they did. His followers, and then they multiplied, and then they multiplied more. And more and more people heard that Jesus worked that his message was of truth was redemption for everyone, that he could transform lives even though he wasn't even here anymore, and it just spread, and more and more people believed and became part of this community, more and more and more and more. And li- listen to this. It's the same message today as it was then. But one of the reasons I think why they saw such dramatic things happen is because of the way they lived. They sold everything and gave to one another as they had need. They were just so committed to this cause that they didn't hold anything back. Now, I'm not suggesting, I'm not going to encourage you to liquidate all your assets and start just kind of giving stuff away to whoever you see. I don't know that you could survive in Orange County doing it quite like that. But I do think that there's something for you in this. I do think that there's another level for you. We are already such a generous church. You are already such generous People, we're already doing such amazing things. We've, we've, we've packed over 200 grocery bags for people that otherwise won't have meals, Thanksgiving meals and Christmas meals this season. Over 200. Did you see the pictures on Facebook? There's someone in our church who let us use their garage, and it's full of grocery bags that you have donated 
to people in need. You are a generous church. We've also, as you heard, ran out of the tags on the trees to buy kids presents for Christmas because we are a generous people. We have stories in our church of, uh, of one particular woman who started coming here a year or so ago. And she came and she asked to be prayed for. Out to my left, after every service, there's people who pray. And she came and sat and then she wanted to be prayed for. And the guy prayed with her. And then at the end of the prayer, he said, is there anything practical that you need? And she said, well, my washing machine just broke. And I'm out of work and I can't really afford to get a new one. And he goes, you're kidding me. I have two washing machines. And he took his other washing machine to her house in a pickup truck that day. There's another story in our church from these last few months where someone didn't have a car. There was a family that needed a car. And we had another family in our church who had three cars. And they gave this family one of their cars, a car that worked. It really, like, functioned. And they just gave it to them because they needed it. You are a generous church. We are a generous people. And yet, maybe God is inviting you in to something a little bit more. Maybe, maybe he's saying, just think about this a little bit, a little bit differently. And I would encourage you to ask this question. Is there a relative or neighbor that needs something I have more than I do? And maybe God would lead you to give. So we share our time, we share our belongings, we also share our burdens. Galatians 6, 2, help each other, help carry each other's burdens. In this way, you follow Christ's teachings. We have a friend, Hillary and I have a friend who a few years ago when we were living in Washington, she went through a divorce. Her husband came home one night at dinner and just said, I don't want to be married anymore. And he packed up his things that night and he started living somewhere else. And so she called Hillary just obviously in just, just broken. And uh, there's always two sides to every story, right? And, and yet, he was clearly the one leaving and opting out, and she was just, she was devastated. So I see Hillary on the phone with her. I see Hillary crying. I ask what's going on. Hillary explains it to me. And I say, tell her to come over here. She doesn't need to be alone tonight. And so Hillary says, you need to come over here. And she says, no, 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 no. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I just need to get through this. I'm, I'm going to be fine. So I just, I've been through similar pain, and so I just knew in my spirit that that was not acceptable, and so I took the phone from Hillary, and I said, am I coming to pick you up, or are you driving over? There's no option in this. We have this tendency to just say, oh, no, 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 I got it, I'm just going to be fine, like, I'll, I'll just work it out, and we want independence. We, we, we are in a country that was built on rebellion and breaking away and independence, right, and so it's in our DNA. We just want, we just, we'll just handle this. We'll just, we'll just do it ourselves, and we resist the help from others when we actually need it most. Do you have people in your life that you're authentic enough to share your burdens, and do you have people in your life that you care enough about to share theirs. So we care by sharing our time, our belongings, our burdens, and then lastly, each other's blessings, which is what our story when we started is all about, right? When her, Elizabeth's neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, 
everyone rejoiced with her. That's just a different version of the same verse that we read. Everyone rejoiced. They knew how much pain she had been through. They knew her story. They'd been walking with her. They were close. And so when this thing happened, they were just as excited as she was because they did life, because they cared, because they were involved, because they were available, because they were committed. And so they celebrated when God did this thing that they prayed for. They'd even like stop. They'd given up praying for it for years, but they prayed for it back then, and now he was doing it. And so they celebrated with them. We are a church that celebrates people. Our God is a God that parties, right? And so we committed earlier this year that we are going to be party people, that there shouldn't be anyone else that throws better parties than us. We have a whole lot to celebrate. So we're going to be party people. We're going to look for things in other people's lives that we can make a big deal about. Someone's pregnant, we throw a party. Someone's engaged, we throw a party. Someone has a, gets a new job and we're pumped and we're celebrating with them. Whatever the circumstances are, we want to just find excuses to party and make a big deal about it because we share in each other's joys and blessings and excitement. We do life together, and that's part of the deal. There's nothing better than that than being around people who care so much when you're winning and who are also there when you're not. And that's the kind of church that we want to be. We want to be a church that celebrates. In fact, I'm so bought into this idea that I decided I would be a gracious loser, and I would celebrate with you Bruins who had a good win yesterday. That's, that's fantastic. Way to go. I even wore a powder blue shirt. I just figured you needed the win more than we did, and so that's just, that's great. Congratulations. But in all seriousness, we have so much to celebrate and to be grateful for. And so we need to be people who are continually looking. How can we get pumped about somebody else? How can we share with someone else in their blessing and, and when God is doing a great thing? And here's the last little thought. How can we share with other people the gift that our church is? We are a part of a great church. You've seen lives transformed. We, we could parade lots of lives that are transformed up here. You are a part of a great church. And at this time of year, leading up to Christmas and then Easter, is when more people than any other time of year are, are willing and wanting to come to church. In fact, Monica and I had uh, lunch not too long ago with an elected official in our city. She's a person of influence in our city, and she's lived here for 40 years, I learned. And I asked this woman, I said, in your 40 years here in Huntington Beach, tell me about the churches that you've seen or that you've visited in this city? Because we've only been here for about a year and a half, and we're excited about what God's doing, and we believe that he's doing something amazing. And I just want to know from your experience, what, what's that been? And she goes, I'll be honest. I haven't been to a church in Huntington Beach in 40 years. And then she said, but I would have if someone would have invited me and if they would have been excited to have me there. I'm not adding words that's exactly what she said. And I thought, well, let me be the first. Come on to our church. We would love to have you. It's great. Monica can tell you, it was, it was a profound moment for me. And I thought, our church will be the one. Our church will be the people who get excited enough about what God is doing and about changed lives and about connections and about feeling like family and about the work that we're doing in the community and all that God's doing that we'll be the ones to invite people like her We'll invite her in, 
If someone, I'm just going to help you. If someone says to you, oh, you go to church, yes, yes, I go to Mariners. I go to Mariners Huntington Beach. Do you get, where do you guys meet? Do you have your own building? No, we don't have our own building. Like, right? I mean, no, we don't, but it's great. We meet right in the center of the city, in this public place where everybody knows where it is, and it's easy for them to get to, and we got lots of parking, and we make purple seats look good, you know? <laughs> And we have people that love this church so much that they get here at 6 a.m. every week and set up to welcome the people that might come. And we don't have a mortgage right now, so we can give more into our community in this season. And we can be more generous. We're always going to be generous, but it's obvious right now as we're just renting space. And, and, And at my church, lives are changed all the time. If we as a church are going to be known for anything, I want it simply to be this, that we are real people trying to follow Jesus who really care about other people. If we do anything, that's, it's simply that. We're just, we're just real, we're messed up people too. No, no one's got it all together. We're figuring out what it means to follow Jesus and we're inviting other people in to do life with us and to be a part of what God is doing. People who care are people who share. Now, some would object and say, yeah, 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 I get that, but I've been burned too many times. I was in a life group, and it went badly. I've been generous. People didn't appreciate it. I've had relationships that have just gone so far south. I just have so much guards up. I don't want to jump in in that. It just doesn't work for me. I get it. Relationships are messy. And in fact, they have been messy throughout all of time. Even in this story that I've been telling this morning, it gets messy. Look at the next verses. So after they celebrate, they have the kid, everyone shares in their joy. Then it says, on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, they being the community, the friends, the family. And they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. And they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. What are you thinking? In other words, that name's never going to catch on. You should name him something like Abinadab or something like that. I mean, what are you even thinking? Verse 62, then they made signs to his father. And to find out what the father would like to name the child, he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. So, You have this picture of all these people sharing in their joy, and it's great, and things are wonderful, and they're so pumped, and then they come back a few days later, and they're trying to name his kid. They're overstepping their boundaries, and that's what happens sometimes when you put your life out in front of other people in a relationship. That's what happens sometimes when you invite people in. It's this tension that we need to, we have to, we need to be engaged in community. And sometimes people are going to abuse that. Sometimes they're going to hurt you, offend you, step over the line, talk too much, say what they shouldn't, overstep. And you're going to have to draw some boundaries because this is just the reality that we live in. God requires us, wired us, wants us to share our life with other people. And yet yet we live in this tension that we share with people, but ultimately we submit to God. God was very clear with Elizabeth and with Zechariah, and he said, the kid's name is going to be John. And he's going to be the one that paves the way for Jesus, who's coming just six months behind him. 
But that was nine months ago, and it might have been easy for them to kind of forget and get amnesia and just get caught up in the, in the buzz of all the people saying, yeah, yeah, Zechariah II or Abinadab or, uh, you know, if you name him John, he's going to get beat up at school. You know, you can't do that. That's a crazy. And so maybe they would have gone along with that if they weren't convinced that though they shared their life with people, they ultimately submit to God. Look at this last verse, Proverbs 29, 25. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. So we walk in that same tension, friends, that we share our time, we share our belongings, we share our burdens, and we share our blessings with other people. And at the end of the day, we ultimately submit to God because he designed life with an order of things, that we submit to him first and that we love each other well after that. And that's my hope and my prayer for you in this season, this week and leading up to Christmas, that you would just be reminded regularly that you don't have to get caught up in the consumeristic, self-absorbed pursuit of stuff, even well-meaning traditions and that kind of stuff. If they go, self, if they go selfish, they're not going to give you life. But look at ways that you can respond tomorrow, respond this week, and think about how you can share your life with others. God, I just pray that you would bring people into our path. You would give us opportunities to share. That you would compel us. That you would lead us to do so. That in your, in your generous mercy, that you would, you would fill us so much with your love and an appreciation for how you've blessed us that we would just want to bless others. And that we would want to share our lives, our time, our stuff, struggles and the things that we want to celebrate that we would choose to do life together and in that way honor you in Jesus name